And would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Genesis 30, 25 through 43. Now it came about when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart. For you yourself know my service, which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages, and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages." So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats, and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and he gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, And the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped, uh, face toward the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous, and had large flocks, and female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. You may be seated. Good morning, Reliance. How are you guys doing? Um, Before I get started into this... Yet, once again, another strange, strange story. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it here in a second. But before we do, I just wanted, sometimes in the rhythms of church life, uh, Adam noted it that we're really, it seems like October's busy, and just a heads up, December's coming too, and that'll be busy. Uh, I just want to say, you guys, in the way that you serve one another, you honor one another. It is such a joy to see 
how you guys serve, even on a Sunday morning like this, coffee being made, people at the doors, people serving in the, the, the adult Bible ships, Sunday school class, or children being served by our adults in the other wing, and some of our high schoolers, small groups throughout the week, some of you women who have started women's groups, some of you men who have not only started, but continue in maintaining those fellowships. Like, you honor one another. And I am so, it's such a joy um, just to, to, to live this Christian life with you. And I would just encourage you, keep going. Keep pressing into that. And uh, if you want to join, like, continue and partner with those who honor one another here, I would, I mean, it's fun. I would, I would say, <laughs> I want to serve that. I, I take that connection card out, and I would say, man, I want to be a part of that. And it is absolutely, as a pastor, back in the early days when we were just a little church plant, like, we were doing the coffee, we were doing the greeting, we were doing, and now, it's just fun. It is absolutely fun. With that said, I want to put one more thing on your plate. October, and here next week on Tuesday, Dan Baber is going to go before the firing squad, um, so to speak. Uh, Dan has been walking with us for the last year and he has no doubt, we have seen within his life, God's call upon him for ministry. It has been a delight to, um, to meet with him regularly, to, to come to know him and his family. And we have come to the point that there is no reason to hinder him from becoming an ordained pastor. And so I want, like, I really, I don't know how to stress the significance of this. But any time God is gracious, Christ is gracious to the church to raise up pastors, you can witness the graciousness of God to his people. And so I, I want, if you have that time available on Tuesday night at 6 p.m., to come and pray for him or, and to witness what God has done in his life. Um, if you can't stay the whole time, that is totally understandable, but... Um, yeah, one who has been affirmed by the church as being set aside for the ministry, yeah, I just don't, I think it's just a wonderful gift. And I would um, encourage you if you have that opportunity to come and uh, witness that um, evening. Uh, one of the things that you'll find out if you ever have the chance to sit through the ordination process, for me as I watch the questions come one after one after another, you start to learn the, and have a respect for the, the knowledge which God has gifted an individual and the wisdom that they have now obtained through the life of following Christ. Um, that respect, um, that humble respect is, is something worth seeing. Now to Genesis 30. What in the world is going on? How in the world did Jacob become so exceedingly prosperous. It ends, verse 43. So the man became exceedingly prosperous, and he had large flocks, and female and male servants, camels and donkeys. You know you have arrived when you have donkeys. My grandpa had donkeys. And when I think about a donkey, I do not think about prosperity. 
They are a stubborn animal. I know the question might sound odd if I ask it again. How in the world did Jacob become exceedingly prosperous? There are individuals in my own life, as I have watched in their youth, watched how they have spent their money and squandered it, only to find now over the course of time to see their lives and them become prosperous. Because once what I knew has entirely changed, and now they become prosperous. Jacob is that example. When he arrived at the doorsteps of Laban's house, he had absolutely nothing. Literally. He had responded years and years with scheming and deceit that he had lost the fellowship of his family. And when he reaches the house of Laban, all he has to offer him is the relationship that Laban has with Jacob's mother, Rebekah. For Rebekah was Laban's sister. Jacob is at the mercy of Laban's house. And Laban is merciful and gracious to receive Jacob in his house. And he literally had nothing. He was worse off than a college student, just sent out of his house. He did not have the reputation of his family, and yet was dependent entirely upon Laban to have any opportunity in the days ahead. How in the world does he become, like the writer doesn't say prosperous, exceedingly prosperous. How has he got here? Remember, he loved Rachel, and Laban was gracious to him, and that he was allowing an opportunity for Jacob to work for his household. And Jacob had figured out a way to honor Laban and work seven years for Laban's daughter's hand in marriage, Rachel. That was quite the price, because normally a man would give a year's wage for his wife-to-be. And Jacob loved Rachel, and he worked seven years. But we find out in the story of Laban, Laban's just like Jacob, and he's deceptive and deceiving and scheming. And as a result of this, Laban is wanting to become prosperous himself. So one for seven years, and in the midst of the wedding night, he slides not Rachel to, to finish the consummation of the marriage, but Leah. Jacob wakes up in the morning, and he finds that his bride-to-be, the one he loved, was not the one he loved, but Leah. He rear-runs to Laban, and as a result of this, Laban gets another seven years. We come to this story today and the journey of 14 years in which Jacob has worked for Laban. And we know one thing about Jacob. His family has become prosperous. 11 sons and one daughter. And if you have that many children, you need wealth. Lots of milk. And now you see the hint of his prosperity Mentioned in Genesis 30, verse 25. His one wife, in whom he loved, the barren wife, gave birth. Now it came about when Rachel had born Joseph. Not only did Leah 
gives multiple children, but even his barren wife is giving life. The man has become prosperous in his family, but one thing he lacks is the resources. After the 14 years he has spent with Laban, he is ready to start finding a way to provide for his family. The question that I have for us today, right, like, Within all the schemes that we have seen in this story, Laban schemes with Jacob. In the scenario we watched last week, the wives of Jacob are scheming against one another and with Jacob. Jacob, historically, even before his time in Laban, is scheming. Everyone is scheming. Has Jacob finally found out a way to scheme his way to wealth? That's the question that I have for you and I. And if that's the case, then for God's people, then we must say that's how you get rich. Maybe. I think every once in a while when I teach my classes, I provide what we call a test. And the test is there for the the student to reveal what they know. And the writer now, I think, has entered this story in his story to give the reader the test. Do really goats produce uncommon goats through the schemes of men? Does Jacob become exceedingly prosperous through his schemes? How did Jacob become exceedingly prosperous? That's our question. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to walk through this story. It has Three primary transitions with a fourth on the end. And as a result of the 14 years, a new contract must be made. Verse 25 through 33, Jacob is ready to go. 14 years satisfied. He has now won the rights to take his wives home. And he says in verse 26, give me my wives. As if they're not his already. He has worked for the right to have them. And my children, for whom, and notice he says this three times, I fulfilled my obligations. I have served you. And let me depart, for you yourself know my service. Two of the three occurrences, which I have rendered you, which is the same word again, served you. Yes, Laban, you have dealt with deceit towards me, but... Fourteen years I have fulfilled the the agreements of service to acquire my family. Now let us go. Laban has realized that there's something special about Jacob. And And he has come to realize that Jacob is like the golden goose who lays golden eggs. And he is unwilling to let him go. And so... He is going to set out a new contract, verse 27. And Laban said to him, If it now pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. Verse 28, we read once again familiar words from Laban. And as you read it as the reader, you go, No, Jacob, don't do it again. He continued, name me your wages, and I will give it. The last time, 
that Laban uttered these words, it was when Jacob had literally nothing. Genesis 29, 15, Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? And it's in that scenario that Jacob's like, I just love Rachel. I'll work seven years for her. And in that occurrence, Laban has used the the heart and love for Rachel to his advantage. And that time, what was offered as seven years became 14 years. Laban's going to do it again. Tell me, Jacob. Name me your wages. Maybe he's just has a new plan to keep him yet again for another 14 years, and I will give it. Yeah, the story with Laban. Laban is the deceiver. We all know that. Jacob knows that. In verse 29, he says, But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you, Laban, and how your cattle have fared with me. Look with me. What's interesting, what you'll find in the next several verses, as the author's attempt to show that Jacob has dealt honorably. It almost appears, has the schemer, has, has he done scheming? Because he puts before Laban his honesty and future honesty. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall give me nothing. You shall not give me anything, verse 31. And if you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Laban wanting to keep Jacob for his prosperity that God is giving him. Every time he has Jacob, his flocks prosper. Jacob says, you don't need to give me much. This is all I require. And what he asks for is significant. Let me pass, verse 32, through your entire flock today. Removing from every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. Jacob asks for the speckled and spotted goats and lambs. What Jacob is asking for is he is asking for the uncommon. And Jacob's request, lambs typically lean primarily to one color or the other. But rarely at times you will find the uncommon, defaced lambs and goats. Jacob tells Laban, you don't even want them. Nobody wants those. Give them to me. Laban, when hearing the idea of this new contract, jumps on it because the offer is in his advantage and to Jacob's disadvantage. And this is what Jacob says, verse 33. So my honesty will answer to me later then. When you come concerning my wages, you'll see it. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Jacob knows Laban. And Laban knows Jacob. They both scheme. And so let's make it obvious to whom's goats are whose goats, and to whose lambs are whose lambs, and we will tell by their nature. And if you ever find my striped and spotted lambs within your goats, or your goats within my goats, we'll know if one has dealt this honestly. Great, great plan. 
Verse 34, Laban, knowing that this is in his advantage and to Jacob's disadvantage, good. Let it be according to your word. The offer, the new contract agreed upon. Tell me your wages, and he hears it's too good to be true. He has now maintained and capped the goose that lays the golden egg, so to speak. How in the world, up to this point, is Jacob going to become prosperous? Because he has just made a new contract to keep that which is rare and to give to Laban from henceforth the new flock. The common will be yours and the uncommon will be mine. It almost as appears as we go on to read that Jacob knows something that Laban doesn't. Seems like Jacob has a plan. Let us continue. Laban, point two in this part of this story, the agreement is put before. He knows that the deception of Jacob. And he's going to take everything possible, every step that he must take to ensure that which is common stays common and that which is rare stays rare. Remember when the contract was made, Jacob offered, I'll go through the flocks and then I will remove that which is mine and that which is yours. Laban, once the agreement made and the contract is accepted, he must go immediately himself. You can't trust a deceiver. You can't trust a schemer. Look what takes place. Laban, verse 35, he removed on that day. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't even give Jacob the opportunity to manipulate this new contract. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male and all the speckled and spotted female goats, every one white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. Laban himself initiates the process of the new contract. Separates the flocks, Laban his, which would be much larger, and not put Jacob in charge of them. Whom did he put in charge of them? His sons. Jacob indeed will fulfill his obligation as we read on to care for those flocks, but the initial responsibility is to his sons. And not only this, just so that we don't have any crossover of common lambs mating with uncommon lambs to produce spotted and speckled lambs, Laban takes one further step. Look at verse 36. And he put a distance, a three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. The contract was accepted or given, the contract accepted, and Laban has done all that he can, keeping his flocks three days' journey from Jacob's. How in the world will Jacob's flocks be prosperous? How in the world? Like clearly Jacob is in the disadvantage, whereas Laban is advantage in the advantage. If there's any hope for Jacob, flocks separated from themselves, one from another, the only hope that Jacob has is that the common flock can produce uncommon lambs. That's his only hope because Laban has done his duties. And we see the result finally in this next section. Strange, strange story. Read with me, starting at verse 37. 
Being in the disadvantage, Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the fox in the gutters, even in the water troughs, where the fox came to drink, and they mated. And when they came to the drink, so the fox mated by the rods, and the fox brought forth from the common, uncommon, brought forth striped and speckled and spotted. Has Jacob won finally against Laban? Fourteen years, the schemer has won. How? Putting sticks in the ground and having the sheep mate next to it. It's as if the writer is asking us, is this how it works? Because in the last chapter, in Genesis chapter, or in this chapter, in the previous section, in Genesis chapter 30, when the two wives of Jacob are fighting, one wife is reaching for mandrakes, believing that mandrakes can make barren wombs fertile. Is Jacob reaching for mandrakes and it's working? How in the world did Jacob get so prosperous? Look at verse 40. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face towards the striped and all the black in the field of Laban. And so he put his own herds apart separated the uncommon from the common, and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, when the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flocks in the gutters, so that they may, might mate by the rods. Man, these rods work. So it seems. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler was Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And through these schemes, it seems, in verse 43, so the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks. Look, female and male servants. Look, camels and donkeys. The man who arrived at Laban's door with nothing not only has a family that is enormous, but now has become financially more than established. Has the schemer finally won? It's as if, like when you read the book of Genesis, we ought to learn up to this point. Does scheming really work? Does it move an individual to prosperity? Whether it be in the days of Jacob when we watched his scheming within his family, it, it has disintegrated his family. The love and the joy that once existed there has been lost through his scheming and being asked to leave. Laban, through his scheming with Jacob, has created a hostility between Laban's daughters and him and between one another. Has we finally come to a story where scheming works? You know the story, right? If we were to stop at verse 43, it, is, it would be an injustice to the story. It is, it is important that you read the story. Because I purposely had the reading end at verse 43, hoping that you would not look ahead to the next section. And I would like to remind you, 
I felt, if I led this message this morning with this question, how does a man become prosperous? We'd all initially would say, God. And this is exactly what Jacob comes to realize in chapter 31. In the midst of all his scheming, his scheming has not been the reason which has created uncommon goats from common goats. And he humbly acknowledges before his wives that my efforts were merely efforts. Remind you, if we have learned anything in the last several chapters, who made Leah's womb fertile? The Lord. Who made the womb of Rachel, which was barren, give life? But God, who controls the wombs of goats and lambs? Is God indeed sovereign over everything? If we really allow ourselves to think, we come to realize. And in an American society which thinks, through its scheming, efforts of going through college, graduating from high school, having the right people to know along the way, manipulating those relationships to your advantage along the way, will ultimately allow you to become prosperous. The people of God, as they walk through the book of Genesis, realize and know, we try. But if there's any hope for prosperity, it does not come from these hands, but from the hand of God. And as Jacob has become prosperous. He appeals to his wives because the attitude of Laban, who wanted to keep the goose that laid the golden egg, has now turned his attitude against Jacob and has become envious of him. And look at how Jacob reflects over what has happened. Genesis 31. The real reason Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. From their perspective, like, they see Jacob putting sticks in the ground, in the troughs. Verse 2, And Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Things have changed. And in this moment, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, It's time. Return to the land of your father and to your relatives, and I will be with you. And so I want you to recognize in the verses between 4 and 13, what Jacob has come to realize. As God has revealed to Jacob, not through your schemes and through your efforts have you become wealthy, but it has come directly from me. You don't control what comes out of the womb, Jacob, by working on the outside. It's God's hand that works. You'll notice repeatedly through this section the emphasis of God's hand upon even the wombs of lambs and goats. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. And said to them, I see your father's attitude. 
that it is not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. I've worked 14 years for you. Yet you also know your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. Ever had a boss that's difficult to work for? Jacob has been manipulated and taken advantage over and over and over with Laban. And Jacob comes to realize and he says, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then the flock brought forth striped. Whatever Laban said would be the wage, that from the common there came uncommon. And Laban would say, well, let's renegotiate the contract. This time only striped. And what as I watched as I cared for his flocks, what came out? Striped. If Laban then came back, this is not working out for me, you can only have spotted. What came out of the lamb and the goat? Spotted. Not by my hand, not my effort, not by my schemes. Verse 9. God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. What is wonderful for me, and I'm reminded through the, through the book of Genesis, and that has been helpful for me, is to remember that God is sovereign over all his creation and is not disengaged from his creation. He moves creation towards his will. Even the wombs of lambs and goats. In fact, Jacob's mere existence is the result of God's hand opening a barren womb. The God of the heavens and the earth is is more involved in his creation and and with us than we could possibly realize. His presence is active. And he moves the things in the earth as he wishes. Jacob says, Whatever was the negative, God made to my positive. Even though Laban thought it would be to my disadvantage. Look at verse 10. And it came about at the time when the flocks were mating that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and spotted and molted. And the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. Jacob's come to realize, not by his efforts has he become prosperous, but by the gracious gift of God. Lift up your, now your eyes and see that all male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and molted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, which you were anointed at Pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arrive, arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Jacob, you are prosperous, not only in family, but also in prosperity because of me. Now go.
For the Laban's goats and lambs I have now given to you. Turning to his wives who heard this, heard this reckoning. In verse 16, they themselves say, Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us. Why? Not because Jacob somehow schemed it from him, but God has given it to him. Belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said. Isn't that a strange story? Like, God, in his wisdom, wants to communicate his sovereignty through a story about goats and lambs. In the midst of two men who are scheming to become prosperous, yet one of them comes to realize and know none of that scheming actually has worked to his advantage. The advantage of the one who has become prosperous is not his schemes, but the God who has been gracious towards him. Now, what do you do with that? You know at Reliance, we want a convictional response. And we know, and God's people know, we live in a godless society. And, and when I say that, I'm not merely thinking of the lawlessness. Rather, what I mean by that is we live in a society that does not think of God as a result for why they become successful. In fact, you can see it in our school systems as an example. The idea of God is not present. And so we become a godless society. And so as we grow throughout our young ages and into adulthood, we begin to believe and think that our efforts, our schemes, somehow are making us prosperous. Rather than thinking of a God who is sovereign over all things and moves all things to whom and where he wishes. You might think to me and say to me, well, it's Jacob. He was the promised one whom will be the blessing to all people. That's a unique situation. Well, that's not true. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar? A pagan king. One who did not think of God often. Let me remind you of what he thought as he was walking around his kingdom. Once it was established. The most powerful in the world. Daniel chapter 4 verse 30. It's one night as he's walking along the tops of his palace. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Look at what these hands have made. If you're familiar with the story, it's at that moment God responds in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, 
a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. What has he not realized? What has he not known? The sovereignty which he has enjoyed as king has not been given to him by his own efforts, but by God himself. Read with me. Just so that you might know me and that the one who is sovereign over things and you now will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize God's going to exercise his sovereignty and make the most sovereign king over the earth eat like a cow. And you will recognize, until you recognize, that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Why did Jacob become exceedingly prosperous? He became exceedingly prosperous from the God who deals kindly with immoral people. Moving his creation where he wishes. And Jacob in chapter 31 realizes finally, God's given it to me. Can I give you one more example? Before we make it too personal, Job. Remember Job? Right? Lord says to Satan, have you considered anyone more blameless than Job? And Satan responds to, to the Lord and says in verse 10 of chapter 1, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. The only reason why Job is prosperous, look, as Satan turns to the Lord and says, is because you've given it to him. That's good theology from Satan. It's right. And the Lord who gives and has the right to take, says to Satan, take it and see what Job does. And Job is going to lose his flocks, which God gave him. Job is going to lose his camels. He's going to lose his servants. He's going to lose his sons and daughters. Everything that Jacob has acquired by the grace of God, Job loses. And his response? Job 1, 21 through 22. Naked I came. But Job has a theology of God that prosperity comes from him. I came into this world naked. And naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Jacob did not sin, nor did he blame God. Meaning, his theology and that representation of that theology before his wife is accurate. God has the right to give and take. Who, who makes spotted lambs from common lambs? God. You can stick all the sticks you want in the ground. But they don't dictate what comes out. 
Mandrakes do not make a barren womb fertile. God does. Satan goes back to the Lord. says, I want one last thing. I want his health. God says, take it. He's going to lose his flocks, his servants, his camels, sons and daughters, and now health. That's a big one if you struggle. And you know those who struggle. His wife can't stand it. Chapter 2, verse 9. And his wife said to Job, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. She's so encouraging. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we accept good from God and not adversity? And all this, Jacob did not sin. Or excuse me, not Jacob. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The theology throughout Scripture is this. Yeah, the wicked will think, I did it. My wisdom and my knowledge has brought me to this prosperous position. And they're merely sticks in the ground. That's what they are. They're nothing more than that. But God's people know if we have anything of prosperity, it is not been acquired by our efforts nor through our wisdom because even if we were to be honest the wisdom that we do obtain and have has been given given to us graciously from him and my thought of how to make this convictional is are you Jacob or are you Laban see now Laban saw That Jacob was indeed the golden goose that could create and give golden eggs. What did he do? He just gathered it all in for himself. Sometimes when we get the prosperity of God, this is exactly what we do. We just take it in. Keep it. It's mine. But as God's people, as we see even with Job, and as Jesus will continue to teach, like, why do you worry? Like, consider the birds of the air. They're clothed. They have food. Why do you live life like just wanting to keep it all? God gives it. And because you reflect the image of God, give it. Be good stewards of it. In this generation, in the midst of all the prosperity that America has had, has had Pastors are the ones who are accused for being those who challenge their people to be generous with their resources. That theology is coming from that which you have enjoyed from God. You have houses. Some of you have apartments. These are gracious gifts from God. You have cars. God could, in his wisdom, say, walk to school, to work. In fact, some of you do. But wherever you have, whether it be little or much, who has given it to you? God. And that the people of God ought to be a people who are then now content with whatever they have, little or much. 
And we are fighting the temptation to be frequently like the Labans of the world and contain and retain and keep it for ourselves. And the warning is this. If you do that, God can take which that you think is yours and give it to someone else. So I plead with you. Like finances are the things which we often not consider. They're God's. That savings account that you might think you have made hasn't been given to you by your efforts, but by the gracious hand of God. Deal with it wisely. If you have nothing in the savings account and you strive to have something that which is in the savings account, trust in the Lord alone to be the one who will provide for you your daily needs. And that if he so wishes to grow that for you, that it's not through your efforts, but by the gracious hand of God that he does such things. Let's pray. Lord, we are reminded even in such things of Jesus Christ. 